Hey there, it's Dr. Nazanin Mo'oli, and I want to chat with you about a key ingredient for a fabulous date night, feeling sexy. And come on, let's be real. What you wear plays a big part in how you rock that confidence. That's why I'm thrilled to introduce you to Quince. Quince brings you premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts starting at just $30, along with washable silk tops, 40-carat gold jewelry, and more. And guess what? All of their goodies are priced 50 to 80% lower than similar brands. By teaming up directly with top factories, Quince skipped the middleman and hands us the saving. Plus, they stick to factories with safe, ethical practices and top-notch fabrics and finishes. How awesome is that? Picking from Quince's website was tough because they have a ton of fabulous choices. I ended up going for their 100% washable silk sleep dress in champagne. And let me tell you, my husband was floored. He's convinced whoever rocks this is in for a blast. I'm going to record some content on that dress so you can see how fabulous is that dress. Elevate your date night style with Quince. Pop over to quince.com slash sexology for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's quince.com slash sexology to get free shipping and 365-day returns. quince.com slash sexology. Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hey, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Today, we're going to talk about sex and intimacy, like all other episodes that we had. But our guest today is unique in a sense that he's a religious uh, leader, and our guest is Rabbi Menis Friedman. Before you guys kind of thinking about, I want to promote my own religion, or I have some other alternative to having an, a rabbi on our show, I wanted to share with you, as you know, I'm, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious, and I'm, I haven't even grew up in a household that was that was a Jewish household. But what happened is a few months ago, I got a copy of uh, Rabbi Manis' new book, The Joy of Intimacy. And I get lots of books from uh, different publishers. I don't feature all of them, but I featured the ones that I find fascinating and interesting. Anyhow, I read the book. I have to tell you at the beginning, I was a little bit hesitant because of my own uh, sex negative upbringing and the relationship between sexuality and religion. But the more I read the book, I felt, oh my God, this is fantastic. And there are so many overlap between the concept that uh, Rabbi Manus Friedman talking about and the field of psychology and sex therapy. So I decided to have him on this show. And again, I encourage you to have an open mind. I think the content is fantastic, but if religion is something that's triggering for you, you can just skip this episode. Anyhow, um, my guest, as I mentioned, is Rabbi Manus Friedman. He's a world-renowned author, counselor, lecturer, and philosopher. He has been featured in 
many、uh, TV shows. He has appeared on CNN, PBS, and BBC Worldwide, and has been the subject of articles in the New York Times, Rolling Stone, Seventeen, Inside Publishers Weekly, and others. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Rabbi Manis Friedman. Welcome back to another episode of Sexology Podcast. As I shared during the introduction, I am so excited and honored to have the Rabbi Manis Friedman on our show.、Uh, welcome to our show. Thank you. Thank you. As I was sharing with our listeners, I love your book, "The Joy of Intimacy." I thought it was a fantastic book, and it was for me at least was unusual to hear about a rabbi, a spiritual leader, a religious leader talking about sexuality and intimacy. So, share us with us how did you get interested in teaching these topics? Well, the topic is, I think it's it's crucial to life itself, certainly to,、uh, for the next generation. So it's an unavoidable topic. It must be understood, and it must be cultivated as an art, as a godly activity. It's、uh, it's more spiritual than it is physical, actually, <laughs> when you do it right. Right, right. And I'm glad that you're thinking about it in that way. Again, not necessarily all the religions and the religious leaders think that way. So it's refreshing to think that you see that's part of life and that's essential part of marriage. Well, it certainly is, and it's also a health problem when when it isn't good, because ultimately the intimacy in marriage is supposed to re- remove forever. The feeling that I'm all alone in the world. Marriage is the only thing that does that, because in marriage you are the only person playing that role in another person's life. So you can't be one with your mother, for example, because your mother has another、uh, partner, and that is your father. So you come as number three, certainly not number one. And even with your children, you're not one with your child because you also have your spouse. The only relationship that is really just one-to-one bonding is the marriage, and that takes away the feeling that I'm all alone in the world. And I think that today we're suffering all over the world from that loneliness or aloneness. Even though we're so social, we're such party animals. You know, we run all we run all over the world. We have friends all over the world. We have likes from from all over the <laughs> so world. So true. <laughs> <laughs> And we're all alone in the world without the intimacy. So yes, it's absolutely crucial. And and you can't fool Mother Nature. You can't replace intimacy with with、um, temporary or recreational sex. It doesn't work, and I'm so curious because in the book you're talking about the difference between sex and intimacy, and I know、uh, many people kind of think it's the same thing. So help us understand better what is the difference between sex and intimacy. Well, it, I think it used to be the same thing. Sex used to be intimate, but we ruined it. We purposely, <laughs> you know,、uh, premeditatedly, cold-bloodedly killed it because we wanted it to become. A recreational activity. We wanted it to become just fun, 
And that's that's a disaster. So sex used to be the most intimate thing. Now it's become just a thing. So here's an amazing, an amazing uh, irony. What's ruining marriages more than anything else is love. Interesting. Because if you marry for love, then you are married to the love. You're not married to the person you're loving. And that's why if the love falls away or fades out, you have no purpose. You have no, not, not, you have no reason to be with this person. Now, there are two problems with that. Number one, love keeps you separate because you're looking for love. That's a demand and an expectation you're making on your spouse. If, they don't, if the spouse doesn't produce, he, he loses or she loses. The other thing is that love is actually insulting. It's when I love you, you are the most important person in the universe. But when I stop loving you, you're garbage, you're nobody, you're useless. <laughs> that is so arrogant. And it's so insulting. My love makes you important? How arrogant is that? It's really, it's, it's terrible. So if you marry for love, then you are married to the love. Just like if you marry for money, you're married to the money. Love may be a little nicer, but money is more useful. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. But I love that, that the view you have around love and like how in our society, we kind of cherish that, oh, it, the marriage needs to be for love. And you're talking about that then when love fades away, people kind of feel that they lose respect or that the dynamic changes. And love was never meant to carry the weight of a relationship. As long as you have love, you're going to be happy. It's not true. Love can't carry. Love is a delicate, fragile thing. It is not a beast of burden. It can't carry a relationship. So if someone is important in your life, you ought to love them. That's where love fits in. But the brother you hate is still more important than the dog you love. In other words, my feelings do not determine your value. That's so interesting. I love that. And I never thought about it in that, through that lens. Yeah. And the same is true with intimacy. My experience does not determine whether something is intimate or not. So you know this, this, uh, this issue that's going on in the news these days with the abuse of women in politics and in Hollywood and in business, in schools. It's a terrible thing, and it's finally being brought out. But first of all, what exactly is the problem and what is the solution? Are we going to legislate new laws? Like men are not allowed to look a woman directly in the eye because it's too provocative. <laughs> what, what's going to happen here? We're going to create two different universes. Men will no longer hire women. Women won't hire men. So some people say that the problem is the abuse of power. People are using power to take advantage of others, which, of course, is a problem. And it's always been, you know, power corrupt. It's an old story. And we have to learn how to handle that. Some people say the problem is that men don't have respect for women. 
And that's also a problem, a lack of respect, a lack of dignity in society in general. We don't have the proper respect for teachers. We don't have the proper respect for parents. We don't have the proper respect for elders. We've, we've lost our respect gene. <laughs> and so, yeah, we don't expect respect women either. But then men don't get any respect. <laughs> that comedian, I don't get no respect. So nobody's getting too much respect, which is its its own problem. I think the problem that we're seeing and hearing about is the lack of respect for intimacy. Oh, interesting. You ask these guys who are being accused of, of molesting women or abusing women, you ask them, don't you have any respect for women? And many of them, I'm sure, are very decent people and they will sincerely say, of course I respect women. So then you say, well, then why did you do what you did? And their answer is going to be, what I did? It was nothing. What did I do? So I touched her. I joked with her. I, I, what? It was nothing. You see, we have no respect for the intimacy of it. And look at what we've done. You know, we really have to take ourselves to account. No decent person in his right mind would publicly advocate disrespecting women. But for the last 80 years, we have publicly and shamelessly advocated not respecting intimacy. How do you see we have been advocating that? How, how do you see it like most, most portrayed as negatively or not necessarily as respectful as you're talking about? Well, I, I think it started back in the 60s with free love. It's free, <laughs> right? That, that's the beginning. And then it went down from there. Nothing means anything unless your intentions are intimate. So holding hands, kissing, hugging, nudity, it means nothing. It means nothing unless you're excited. <laughs> right. So the movies and the television and the articles and the magazines and the pictures, it's nothing. It's nothing. It's just a thigh. It's just a body. It's just a touch. It's just we have no respect for intimacy. A man and a woman alone in a room. Is that an intimacy? Yes, it is. But we're trying to fool Mother Nature. A man says, yeah, I was alone with this woman in the room. Eh, it was nothing. She's not my type. Because you didn't feel the intimacy doesn't change the fact. It was a very intimate moment, and you missed it because you're so callous. So it was an intimacy. You're just dull. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you have a wonderful sense of humor. So tell me, how do you define intimacy? Intimacy means a meeting of two people who have removed all things that come between them. And so they merge into one. Intimacy means no thing. Love is a thing. If, you're, if you have mutual desire for love, then you will both be married to the love, not to each other. So here's a good way of putting it. A man said to me, I love everything about my wife, which sounds so nice, but his wife wants a divorce. <laughs> <laughs> so you got to figure out what, what's happening here. 
he loves everything about his wife. So I ask him, do you love your wife? He says, I love everything about her. I said, do you love her? He says, what about her? <laughs> I said, no, no, not about her. Do you love her? He didn't understand what I was talking about. Without the things, he has no idea what she's doing in his life. So if those things went away, she would be a total stranger trespassing on his private property. <laughs> so he's an effect. He is married to those things. He is not married to her. <laughs> so the first problem is that's polygamy. <laughs> he's married to too many things, and she's not one of them. <laughs> that's ironic. Yeah, and if you ask him about it, he really doesn't know what it means just her when you take away all the things about her. So nothing you get from your spouse can be as important as your spouse. Nothing about your husband can be more important than your husband. Are you married to someone or are you married to a bunch of things? And if you're married to a bunch of things, your wife is going to feel alone in the world because she and you have never bonded. You're still two separate people. And as a sexologist, isn't it telling a couple have been intimate and afterwards the husband asks the wife, so how was it? <laughs> I, that comes a lot in my practice. I hear it all the time. People are kind of thinking about their sex and intimacy act as an Olympic performance that how did they do? So first of all, <laughs> how was it? You brought an it into the bedroom? <laughs> you don't ever bring its into a bedroom. You don't bring things into a bedroom. A bedroom is just for us, unless you're calling me a thing. Am I the it? And secondly, you're asking me how it was? You weren't there? <laughs> why, does he, why does he have to ask? He does have to ask because he was in his own universe. He was so completely absorbed in his experience, he has to ask what your experience was. So sex also separates us. It's not a bonding agent. It keeps us separate. Unless the sexual act is an act of intimacy and the pleasure is the pleasure of having you, not it, then the bond is absolutely indestructible. If you ever have to get divorced, it would be an amputation. That's intimacy. So when your grandmother, <laughs> when you asked your grandmother, what happens in the bedroom? Your grandmother said, nothing. <laughs> and you said, come on, tell me. Tell me, I'm old enough, I'm 38. <laughs> I need to know what goes on in the bedroom. And your grandmother said, nothing. And she was giving you the right answer. A bedroom is a sacred place. It is a no thing zone. Don't bring anything into the bedroom. It's just for him and her. And they are not things. And what they're going to do is not a thing. They're going to remove all things 
until nothing separates them and they will merge and become one. So one thing then that comes to my mind when we were talking about that, you're absolutely right. There are certainly, especially these days, that like many individuals, many couples, they are in their own zone. They're detached during their uh, act of sex and intimacy. But if people want to kind of transition from that mode of detached being in their own uh, fantasies to the kind of sex that you're talking about, how can, what are some of the steps that they need to take? Because it sounds certainly lovely, but it's not, it's not what I hear from the couples that I work with. All right. So first of all, the attitude and the expectation. Marriage is not a give and take because there's no taking. If you take, you're abusing because you don't take people. You don't use people. If you're using your spouse for physical pleasure, you're abusing. And it'll just get more and more obvious with time. The abuse will get worse. So you have to come into the relationship knowing there is no taking. There is giving and there is receiving. And the receiving is much more powerful because it nurtures. It, it, it's, it's irresistible to the man to be received, to be needed. At any rate, you got to get rid of that expression, give and take. No taking. You're not using another person for your personal benefit, not for love and not for sexual pleasure. Because if that's what you're doing, then you're already subtle, subtly abusive. Number two, the bedroom has to have an atmosphere of intimacy. It's not a place you bring guests. You don't have a television or a computer. The room is for us exclusively so that when you walk into the room, it already feels intimate. And here's a really powerful thing. It's so simple and it's so powerful. If you want to enhance, improve, and make your intimate life real, this is not a gimmick. Never be intimate with the lights on, only in the dark, because intimacy is not something you can see with your eyes. So if the lights are on, your eyes are going to see something, and that something is going to distract you from the intimacy. It wasn't so long ago. I, I still remember on television, for example, if a couple were going to be intimate, the, the, the last thing we saw was they turned off the lamp. Then we knew they're going to be intimate. And that was the norm. Everybody in the world behaved that way. If you're going to be intimate, you turn off the lights. If you do that, it, it, will, be, it will have such a powerful and positive effect. It, it makes you so aware of the other rather than something about the other. So where did this practice of having lights on mood lights, any kind of lights, where did it come from? It's got to be less than 50 years. It came from pornography. Pornography introduced sex with the lights on because, you know, <laughs> you can't take pictures in the dark. True. <laughs> so pornography introduced the idea of being intimate with the lights on. And that was the end of the intimacy. It killed it. It, we all became pornographic in our bedrooms. 
And now we're complaining there's no intimacy. We're complaining that we're still alone in the world. So here's, here's the real secret. We worship love in America, literally, even religiously. God is love, which means love is God. We worship love. We don't really worship God. And we marry love. We don't marry our spouse. And we think that love can heal everything, fix everything, and make everything beautiful. But it can't. It's not meant to. The thing we want to achieve in a marriage, in family, is the sense of belonging. And if we think about it, the word belonging is so much more powerful than love. Where do I belong? With whom do I belong? So if we can picture, you know, those perfect moments that happen every now and then, oh, like a mother looking at her newborn baby when the baby is sleeping peacefully. That's it. It can't get any better than this. It is so right. You're so you're such a mother and this is such a baby and you belong to each other. That's it. If time stopped and nothing else ever happened, you would be perfectly happy. That's what belonging means. So when you have an intimate relationship and you create a home around that intimacy, you come home, another very powerful word. You come home to the place you belong so that you are doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing. And you are with the person to whom you belong and you are, and there's no one else you'd rather be with. So imagine a moment you're, uh, you are where you need to be and would not rather be any place else. No other place you'd rather be. You're doing what you're supposed to be doing. There's nothing else you'd rather be doing at this moment. And you are with the person who you belong to, who belongs to you. And there's no one else you'd rather be with. When you have these three things, you're where you belong, doing what you're supposed to be doing with the person you're supposed to be with. That's heaven. Literally, that is the experience of heaven. So when people ask me, you really believe in heaven? I say, you mean you've never been there? <laughs> <laughs> that is so sad. You've never been to heaven? When you have that feeling of being home, you are in heaven. Not permanently. <laughs> the, the problems are going to come back in a few minutes. But for that moment, you are in heaven. And if we can't achieve that, then we are alone in the world and love does not fix it. So here's the irony of it. The thing that's destroying marriages is love and sex. Now, how strange is that? <laughs> that's, that's very interesting. So I guess the other thought that I have is, again, I, I really enjoy learning about this different perspective to about marriage and intimacy, and it makes sense to me. But I'm thinking about couples in my practice that they, they say that unless, so I love my partner, I have lots of respect for the partner, we've been together for a few decades. And then again, that emo I feel emotional intimacy is there, but 
sexually, I'm no longer attracted to them. Physiologically, I'm not able to get aroused. How do you make sense of that? Well, I, I think there's, there's a technical problem. We work too hard. You come home, you're exhausted, you're depleted, you don't have energy. So people actually are not having sex. It is just an abandoned activity. Most couples will tell me if they have sex once a month, they're lucky. So number one, there's depletion. They're simply exhausted emotionally, their nerves, their the tension, the pressures, too much. So it's not surprising. And it has nothing to do with uh, whether you're married to the right person or not. You're just overworked, overextended. And number two, here's another shocker, <laughs> sleeping in the same bed. It's nasty because you come home and you get into bed and you just want to sleep. Well, thank you very much. I guess I'm really exciting. <laughs> you, I'm right here and you want to sleep? I'm tired. Okay, I get the message. It's a terrible idea. Because when I was thinking about, you know, the old television shows where they turned off the lamp, I was reminded that they also slept in separate beds. In fact, television was not allowed to show a couple in one bed. And it occurred to me that that is such a brilliant idea because if you want to be intimate, show a little initiative. <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> at, least, at least get up and get out of your bed. Show a little interest. Don't just be intimate because you happen to be in the same bed anyway that you might as well. It's so deadening. It's so jading. We become so familiar with each other that it actually starts producing what familiarity breeds, contempt. It's too familiar. Give yourselves a little space. Make intimacy an important, an important act. Give it back its respect. I have a story where these teenagers were going to go on a camping trip, and they asked me about it. And I said, four boys, four girls, 17 years old, out in a tent in the wilderness for a week? No way, not kosher. <laughs> and they were, they were insulted. And they said, Rabbi, nothing, we've been doing this for years. We do everything together. We grew up together. Nothing ever happens. He says, last year, one of the sleeping bags got too close to the fire and it was destroyed. So we shared a sleeping bag. Nothing happened. I said, in that case, you don't need to speak to a rabbi. You need to see a therapist immediately. <laughs> <laughs> you shared a sleeping bag with a girl and nothing happened. And you're proud to say that? <laughs> Too familiar. You're killing your, in, your, your healthy instincts. So sleeping in the same bed night after night without being intimate, it's, it's deadly. Really. Show a little initiative. And I bet if they were sleeping in separate beds, they would miss each other. That might start a little intimacy going. So all I'm saying is we've grown, we've grown too familiar. Sex is too casual. It, it, we've lost respect for the intimacy of it. And we're, frankly, we're, we're bored. We've had enough sex. We don't care anymore. And I've heard experts saying 
that it's been a mistake. We focused on getting maximum pleasure. How to get more pleasure out of your sex life. How to improve your sex life. 12 secrets to a better intimacy. 24 secrets. You know, it just goes on and on and on. And the truth is, we don't need more pleasure. We don't. We have more pleasure than any generation before us within memory. We don't need more pleasure. We have chocolate. (laughs) (laughs) We don't need more pleasure. What we need is more closeness, and it's been neglected. And as far as the, the Torah is concerned, as far as the Bible goes, the purpose in marriage is to cleave to your wife and become one, not close. Closeness is with your neighbor. You need more than closeness. You need to become one inseparable unit so that you are never alone in the world, even when your spouse is on the other side of the ocean. We need to have that. You can't fool Mother Nature. You know, uh, 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 hooking up a one-night stand, a boyfriend for a while, a girlfriend for a while, you're not fooling anybody because what you really need is being neglected. And what you're having (laughs) is junk sex and junk food. And that's why we're overweight and lonely. (laughs) (laughs) On that note, I know it's here toward the end of our time, Rabbi. Your book is fantastic and I can talk to you for hours. So tell us a little bit about the book. I know you have a book tour coming and any other way that our listeners can get a hold of your material. Okay, the reason I wrote the book although I've been talking about the subject for 46 years, is because it got so bad that happily married couples will complain that they feel alone in the world. And that, you know, there's no excuse for that. If they didn't like each other, if they hated each other, if they were fighting with each other, I can understand. Men are from Mars, women are from Venus, what do you expect, right? But if they're happily married, And in a quiet moment, she feels all alone in the world. Something very fundamental is missing here. And so I had to dig back into the tradition, into the the, the divine instructions for marriage and for intimacy to find out what have we lost? What are we neglecting here? And I came up with, with this book. So the reaction to the book, pretty much like your reaction is, it makes so much sense. Why didn't I think of this? Because intuitively, it feels right. So you can get the book at itsgoodtoknow.com, itsgoodtoknow.com, or joyofintimacy.com. You can also get it on Amazon. Uh, You can get it in Jewish bookstores. We're going to try to make it as readily available as possible. Excellent. And I leave a link to the show notes. So if our listeners would like to get access to the book and and the website you mentioned, they can go to the show notes. Rabbi, thank you so much for your time. This was wonderful. Here's my final sales pitch. (laughs) Friends don't let friends get married without this book. (laughs) (laughs) I'll keep a note of that. (laughs) Wonderful. Thank you for joining. Thank you so much. Okay. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Hey everyone, thank you for listening to my interview with Rabbi Manus Friedman. I really enjoyed his openness about talking around topics related to sex and intimacy. 
I know not necessarily all the rabbis or religious leaders are open to discussing this various topics. But as he was talking about, I think it's important to share the information with people because I know many individuals go to uh, their religious leaders for advice and not always they get a positive feedback. So it was refreshing to hear Rabbi Friedman's perspective about sexuality. And yes, some of the teaching that he was sharing with us was not necessarily something that we talk in the past. I know we're talking about mindfulness and looking at at the partner uh, while we're having sex. And it was interesting that he was talking about being in dark and closing the, uh, turning off the light, which I felt was very interesting. Anyhow, as always, I want to encourage you guys to send us your questions. So any questions you have around sexuality and relationship, you're welcome to email it to me at drmoali at sexology.com or you can record your voice in our website, which is sexologypodcast.com. Anyhow, I'm looking forward to hear your questions and I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.